My name is Chris. Uh, Arlena and I were the lead pastors here in, at Antioch Salt Lake. And uh, man, uh, thank you for being here. It is all about the presence of God and being together with the people of God. That is the, the value of encounter is that when we see him as he is, we cannot stay the same. It is literally the anti-religion, right? Religion says try really, really hard to make yourself one step better, okay? The gospel of Jesus, the grace of God says you actually can never make yourself that much better. So die to yourself, be raised to a new life in Jesus, get to know me, and as you get to know me, I will transform you into who you were always made to be. So super excited just to be here uh, and to be together in God's presence. We are in week seven of our First Love Fire series. Come on, y'all been enjoying this? We've been walking through Paul's letter to the Ephesians, okay? We're doing 10 weeks. We did five weeks in Ephesians 1 through 3. We're doing five weeks in Ephesians 4 through 6, right down the middle. We're in week 7. The reason we're studying Paul's letter to the Ephesians is because in the book of Revelation, Jesus tells John to grab a pen and start writing letters to the churches. You guys heard about this? And to the Ephesian church, Jesus himself commends them for being a church that is strong in endurance, committed to the truth, does not tolerate impurity, right? And he commends them for their strength and their faith, but he corrects them on one point. You guys remember what it is? He says, you have forgotten your first love. So he said, if there's a manual for the church of God to return fully to Jesus in 2022 and remember our love for the Lord and to stir up a first love fire for God, then what a better manual than Paul's letter to the Ephesian church, right? So we're in week seven here. It's been a blast and I'm super excited for what I believe the Lord has for us um, here in the second half of this series. And uh, if you've been around, okay, church, this is the moment where I'm like, I'm really waiting to, st- I'm really testing you, like my, my children in the faith, have you been listening to the preacher, okay? The first half of Ephesians was all about what? Identity. Come on, church. And we turn the corner and the second half of the letter is all about instruction. And that is where we find ourselves here in part seven. Check it out. Uh, as we jump in, um, I got to talk to you about my five kids, all right? So Arlena, and I believe it or not, this woman right here has five children. They all came from her. Um, and we, our oldest is eight. Uh, we have twins that are six, a four-year-old daughter, and then a two-year-old son. So we've got all the even numbers right now between eight and two, okay? We've got five kids. And uh, we, man, we love family. But with five kids, the reality is every single day you roll up, it's like, it's like rolling the dice or pulling the lever on the slot machine. Sorry, excuse me for the gambling analogies. But you just never know what you're going to get when you live with five people age eight and under, okay? And this weekend, I'm just being honest, man, we, we had a total absolute meltdown of a Saturday and we hit an absolute jackpot of a Sunday morning. So 50-50, Pletcher family, you know, but we love it. Our kids are sweet. They are fun. If you've gotten to know them, they're amazing. And uh, it's funny when we meet people and they'll ask Arlena what she does for work. (laughs) Come on, ladies. 
I'm like, are you serious right now? Do you see these five little people following her around all the time, demanding food, attention, and entertainment 24 hours a day? She is a professional parent. She's a professional child raiser. There is no harder job on the planet, okay, guys? So moms, props to you, okay? And actually, even for me, this is my second gig, all right? Preaching is like my side hustle. We raise kids for a living. When you have five, it is your full-time job all the time, all right? And we love it. It's a blast. But here's the thing. Um, There's this wild thing that keeps happening with all five of our children, all right? And it's that they keep changing and growing. They say that in parenthood, the only thing consistent is change, right? So if you're struggling with a, in a tough season with a newborn or little kids, just, just hang on for like three to six months because in three to six months, everything's going to be different. Okay, they're going to be doing things they weren't doing, saying things. Okay, they're growing up. The only thing that's consistent is change. Check out this definition. Scientists define human development as the process of change and growth that takes place between birth and maturity. That's the process of human development. Developing physically into an adult from a baby to a full-grown, fully mature adult takes about 18 years. They say that physically you are fully formed into adulthood by 18. Now your brain actually takes a little bit longer. Anybody know when your brain is fully mature? 25, close, all right? So your brain, your body is fully matured. Most of us are on 18. Your brain is still developing till you're 25. Okay, so, so check it out. It takes between 18 to 25 years. Somebody hold up a baby. We got some babies in this room right now, okay? Here's some baby. One, two, three. Come on. Man, baby dedications, March 20th. Come on, it's going to be a blast, all right? Um, it takes around 18 to 25 years for these little people to become fully formed adults, right? Now, human development is a process, right? Now, we know that this process can be exciting. Uh, It can also be very challenging. Can I get an amen? Growth pains, acne, okay, voice cracking, right? Like, change is hard in the realm of human development, all right? And it is a process. But if growth is not happening, right? If growth is not happening, something's wrong. Cool? Something is wrong. Now, spiritual development is a process as well. Check out the writers of the scriptures and how they bridge together what we see unfold in front of our faces every day with our kids and what is actually should be going on all the time in our spiritual maturity as well. Check out 1 Peter 2, 1 through 5. So put away, somebody say put away. All malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Oh, here we go, babies. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen 
and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. Okay, come on, y'all know I love this verse, all right? You're being built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Check it out. Like newborn infants. In this context, he's saying, hey, when you get born again spiritually, and you put your faith and hope and trust in Jesus, a miracle happens. You go from being dead in your sin and trespasses. We saw this in chapter two on Baptism Sunday. Remember, we dunked 13 people. You go from being spiritually dead, you call upon the name of the Lord Jesus, you trust in his blood on the cross. By grace alone through faith, a miracle happens. Jesus said, unless a man is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. You get born again and you become a spiritual infant. And in this context, he's saying, hey, babies, what we need you to do, spiritual infants, long for milk. This is a necessary season, right? We don't like shame our infants for being infants, right? It's a season and they need milk. And he says, long for the spiritual milk so that you can what? So that you can grow up into salvation, Isn't it amazing that salvation is something that happens in an instant when you get born again and something that you grow up into over your process of spiritual maturity? Check out Hebrews 5. This isn't a one-off. Look at Hebrews 5, 12. Now, this is a little different. He talks about the milk thing here, but the tone is much different. Check it out. He says, though by this time you ought to be teachers, You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. Do you see the difference? It's not an encouragement right there. It's a correction. He's saying, whoa, whoa, you still need milk? No, that was for your infancy stage. Now, you are supposed to go on beyond that. Look, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in what? Oh, in the word of righteousness. Why do you think we're studying the book of Ephesians? Because one of the ways that you grow spiritually is becoming skilled in the word of God. I started this journey 20 years ago, a freshman in college. I did not know a verse in this book. And it has been day by day, little by little, okay, over the process of what I say, 18 to 25 years, right? You go from being a baby to a full-grown adult, and you think you're going to study the Bible for a few weeks and become spiritually mature? We better settle in for a long journey. Are you with me? This is a process, and it's okay, but we got to get skilled in the word of righteousness. Now, he says this, solid food is for the, look at this biblical definition of maturity right here. Those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish between what? Good and evil. Spiritual maturity is in a process of time, you become so skilled in the word of God that through practice and testing over time, the mind of the Lord that is in this book becomes the mind of Christ that is inside of your head so that when you look at something through the lens of the mind of Christ, you, go, you have discernment to say, that is good and it pleases the Lord. That is not. That is evil. It is unpleasing to him. We live in a day and age 
Can I be honest? Our spiritual immaturity in America has been revealed in the last two years. Our spiritual immaturity in our nation has been revealed in the past two years because never before have we had more believers calling what is evil good and keeping silent on what is on the heart of God. And so this, I believe, we are in a, I believe, my, my father-in-law Thomas, he said to me, man, he, he studied the book of Revelation last year, talking about John writing those letters. He said, Chris, you know what I want to think? I think that we're in a season here in our world where the letters are being sent out to the churches again, where Jesus is sending letters again to the churches saying, hey, hey, it's time that for you to respond and you're going to watch. You will see out of this season, you will see which churches hear the word of the Lord and continue to walk up into maturity. And you will see which churches fall by the wayside and compromise and through lack of discernment and become irrelevant and look just like the world. Where are we? Okay, maturity. Spiritual maturity is a process of becoming skilled in God's word so we can discern what is good and what is, ev- and what is evil. And it is a process on which we grow up and it's a beautiful journey that has to happen in the context of the house of God. The second letter the second half of this letter, as I said earlier, it is all focused on instruction because here's the deal. Parents, good parents don't just love and affirm their kids all the time. Good parents instruct, envision, and correct their kids as well. Parents, let me give you a, a help. Since we're professional parents, that doesn't mean we've got it all figured out. It just means, look, we live, eat, breathe, and sleep. We are always in this world of parenting, okay? So for better or for worse, we're like constantly either succeeding or failing, and there's both happening, okay? They live with us right now. They know it's true, okay? But we, we are like in a professional experiment right now of how to train people up into maturity. And so parents, let me tell you something. So if you parent with too much discipline and not enough identity and vision, you will end up with discouraged kids. If you correct too much without identity and vision, you'll end up with kids that are just discouraged under your heavy hand of correction. That's not God's heart. That's not our heart in this church either, by the way. Okay, now parents, if you give, if you parent with too much love and there's no correction, there's no discipline, there's no training, you will end up with kids that are immature and have unfinished character. Because maturity, check it out, listen, maturity has to happen in the context of family. Your kids cannot fully mature without your involvement, right? In the same way that babies cannot reach full maturity without the parents feeding, loving, guiding, instructing over time. Are you with me? We cannot reach spiritual maturity without spiritual parents Leading, guiding, and we see this, we, we read this verse last week, 1 Corinthians 4, check it out. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. In all of Paul's letters, he calls them his children, my beloved children. He says, I am not trying to shame you. 
And we made an agreement last week, if you weren't here, by the way, we're in a season of instruction and correction, but we made an agreement that there's no place for shame, that there is place for healthy parents to bring healthy correction. That is how we grow. And he says to them, though you have countless guides, you don't have many fathers. He says, I became your father in Christ through the gospel. Can I help you distinguish between what a guide is in your life and a father? If you want to grow spiritually, raise your hand. Okay, perfect. Now, it's critical that you learn how to distinguish between a guide and a father. Because he says you've got countless guides and you have few fathers. Okay, the difference between a guide and a father is like this. If you get most of your spiritual input from uh, podcasts or YouTube or uh, sources that are not relationally connected to you at all, you are receiving from a guide. And you can receive and be blessed by a guide. And there are countless guides out there on YouTube, okay? You know what I'm saying? The difference between a guide and a father is that spiritual fathering happens in relationship. You have a connection, okay? So you, don't, you can just listen to a sermon on YouTube, right? And it can convict the mess out of you and you can walk away and do nothing about it, right? But when you live in a spiritual family and you're submitted to spiritual fathers, okay? Oh, then we're up close and personal, and, 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 and we get to walk, I get to pull you aside, or you get to pull me aside, or you get to pull her aside, or she gets to pull her. This isn't just from here forward. This is supposed to be, we're getting here in a minute. This is supposed to be happening in the family where there's relationship, spiritual family comes alongside of you and says, hey, and there's a correction that happens in love. That's where we're going tonight. But there's a difference between guides and fathers, but here's what I want you to say. Say this with me. Maturity happens in family. So if you have been disconnected from the body of Christ, disconnected from healthy spiritual family, and you're struggling to grow spiritually, I am not surprised. And you should actually be encouraged because you've been going about it the wrong way. I say to you in love, you cannot grow spiritually only with guides in your life. You, you grow spiritually by being connected with a family that walks with you in the process of maturity. Are you following me? Okay, so, so check this out. Before we get into Ephesians 4, listen. <clears throat> Raise your hand if you were here last week. Okay. So I'm speaking to you guys that just rose your hand, but you'll, you'll know where I'm, what I'm talking about here in a second. I dealt a pretty heavy correction last week from this stage to our family. And I want to take a moment to honor you if you are a part of this spiritual family, because what I saw was an incredible amount of humility from the children in this house and this spiritual family responding to a few pretty hard corrections that I dealt out as a spiritual leader in this house. And so I'm serious. I am so, pr- this sounds weird, but look, I am so proud of you. I am so proud of this family. I am so proud by the way I saw the, the sons and daughters in this house respond with humility to a firm correction. That will produce spiritual growth 
breakthrough and maturity every time. So I honor you for that. If you weren't here last week and you're a part of this family, go listen to it, okay? If you were here last week and you didn't respond in humility, there's still time for you to repent and get rid of your pride, okay? But listen, my hope is in in these weeks, look, every week I wanna give you one key to spiritual growth, Okay, so if you're taking note, last week, the key to spiritual growth and spiritual maturity that we were pressing into last week is humility. We, we are called to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord in all humility. Humility responds to correction and leads to growth. Pride will always get offended by correction. And when you are offended you have decided to stop growing. Being offended will stunt your growth. You know, you tell little kids, like, don't drink, don't drink too much coffee, right? Because you drink, that's like, what, that's the urban legend, I guess, right? Am I the only one that's heard that before? <laughs> yeah, yeah, come on, help me out. Don't drink coffee as a kid, it's gonna stunt your growth, okay? Don't get offended in the house of God, it's gonna stop your spiritual growth, Okay? So here we are, we're picking it up in chapter four. The key to spiritual growth from last week was humility. You allow yourself to be corrected, all right? And as we come into chapter four of Ephesians, um, man, I'm so excited to let the word of God speak to us again. How many of you love God's word? You're thankful for God's word. How many of you guys know that all we are doing right now is reading through God's word? I'm just the messenger, okay? I'm not up here correcting and instructing us. I am just up here delivering God's word and allowing it to correct and instruct us. So let's go to Ephesians 4. Check it out. He says this, I I say and I testify in the Lord, verse 17, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do and the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that's not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off, somebody say put off, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, somebody say, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Do you see it? Putting off the old, putting on the new self. To put off or to lay aside in this passage means to cut off or to renounce something from the past. You are casting off the old Put on actually is a, is a word that's uh, referencing clothing. It's the, the imagery is to wrap yourself in a robe and kind of sink down into. You're putting on something new. And you're putting on something that envelops you, something that is not just external. It becomes something you sink into. You're laying aside the old and you're putting on 
the new. And here's why this is so important. Check it out here in verse 19. This is a hard verse, y'all, I'm not gonna lie. This is a hard verse that dials in on 2022 in American culture. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Any guitar players in the room? We got Morley up here. Raise your hand, you play the guitar. My father-in-law, okay, we got a few more. Okay, there's something happens when you play the guitar consistently, right? Your fingers develop, on the tips of your fingers develop, develop calluses. Okay, if you look down at your hands, if you will, for a second, look at me, if you're a non-guitar player, especially, or if you're a guitar player, look at your not chord hand, okay? The tips of your fingers are the softest skin on your hand. Literally, the tips of your fingers are the most sensitive skin you have on your whole hand, okay? And so if you play the guitar a lot over time so that you're not just in pain constantly playing chords. I mean, these guys are up here for 30, 45 minutes. You play in a band. I mean, I've played hour-long worship sets and my fingers are like bleeding at the end, you know? It, your, your fingers can only survive if over time they harden and they develop calluses. You can look at somebody that plays the guitar and you can tell they play the guitar just by looking at the tips of their fingers. So a callus is when something sensitive becomes hardened over time. Calluses, if you've tried to play the guitar or learn the guitar, they don't come quickly. It comes slowly. Sons and daughters, okay, family, listen. We have to guard our hearts from becoming hardened, okay? Because it is sneaky and deceitful and it creeps in little by little by little. That's why he says a few verses later, he talks about in verse 22, your former manner of life, check it out, your former manner of life that is corrupt through what? Deceitful desires. Look, look, the hardness, I wrote this down, calloused hearts are the byproduct of deception. Guys, listen, listen, we have to guard our hearts. We have to examine our hearts. We have to search our hearts for calluses. Because listen, deception, the nature of deception is that you are, thank you, Arlena, the nature of deception is that you are deceived. Okay, so do you know when you're under deception? This is a hard conversation, church. Stay with me. You don't know when you're under deception, okay? But you can tell when something is hardened in your heart, okay? Look, calluses are easier to find than deception. But if you find a callus, you can be sure that deception caused it. Are you with me? Guys, we have to search our hearts for the places that have become unsensitive to the Lord. This happens slowly over time. I would say that in the area of entertainment, I'm just gonna be really honest, this is one of the clearest areas that you can test your heart and determine your spiritual sensitivity to the Lord. Can you watch things that you know would make the Lord uncomfortable and you have no problem watching it? You have become calloused. 
The only way you get calloused hardness in your heart is by deception over time hardening you. And so this is why Hebrews 3.13, guys, this is so big. Hebrews 3.13 says, but exhort one another every day. Say one another. Exhort one another every day as long as it is called to today that none of you may be what? By the hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Calloused hearts are the byproduct of deception. If your heart has become hard in an area of life, you need to search for what, how are you being deceived? Find a callous, be humble enough to ask the Lord, what lie did I believe that got me here? Why can I commit this sin that I know you are not a fan of, and yet I can do it without flinching anymore? You know why? If you're a believer and the Holy Spirit's truly inside of you, the only way you can sin with zero sensitivity to it is if you have hardened your heart to the holiness of God. That's it. And I I will tell you, that is a scary place to be. That is a scary place to be. Now, it's an easy place to get out of through repentance, through vulnerability, through humility. But did you see there, Hebrews 3, let's get it up there, one another. Exhort one another. Church, stay with me. I... We need spiritual fathers and spiritual leaders, okay, that are going to correct us. And I promise you in, in this season, it's gonna come. Uh, it's already coming, okay? You're gonna receive correction from your spiritual leadership if you're a part of this family because that's how maturity happens. But that's not all we need, okay? You, we also need our brothers and sisters. Look to your left and your right. We need our brothers and sisters exhorting us as well. Okay, so stand up. I know we're kind of getting sleepy. My voice, we're in it, okay? You're kind of, look, stand up. Get the glaze out your eyes and listen, I'm about to commission you, okay? If you're a part of this church family, listen, church family, say, yes, sir. (laughs) Church family, I give you permission to exhort one another. I give you permission To in love, to exhort means to strongly encourage and to correct. Listen, listen. I give you permission in the context of your relationships in this family to exhort and correct one another. It is the only way that we will grow into maturity, not as individuals. Remember, we're not just trying to individually grow. We're a part of a bigger thing here called the the body of Christ, the church. So we are not just individually trying to mature. As a body, we are trying to mature into, we saw it in chapter uh, four earlier, into the full measure that is Christ. It doesn't happen just because a spiritual father or mother gets up here and corrects the family. That's part of it. It has to happen amongst the brothers and sisters. So if you receive 
If you receive, as a son and daughter of this house, if you receive the permission to exhort one another and be exhorted by one another, I just want you to say, I receive it. All right, take a seat. Okay, this is huge for us, church. The only way that we keep our hearts sensitive, I'm sorry, I gotta have Hebrews 3 up there again. Do you see the connection? The only way to keep your heart uncalloused by sin's deception is community. Oh, this is why, look, I understand we did our best to navigate the pandemic, but when we went into isolation mode and we all decided that we could be okay living life on our own, you know what actually happened? For those of us that got isolated and away, especially from the house of God and from relationship that correct us, you know what happened? Calluses. A whole generation of believers in this country ejected from God's purpose of spiritual family that can correct them to spiritual maturity. They sat at home with countless guides. Oh, I wish somebody was with me. They sat at home with countless spiritual guides and they never stepped back in to a spiritual family with fathers, brothers, and sisters and our hearts got calloused and hardened. And we're living in that. that and that is the, the, the sifting of the church. That is why togetherness is a blueprint value for us. That is why gathering together regularly and frequently has to be a part of what we're building here because it's the only way our hearts stay sensitive to the Lord. All right, now, the second half of this chapter four, pick it up in verse 25, because I'm gonna tell you, you just received permission to exhort one another. I'm gonna tell you what you're exhorting one another to and how to do it, all right? So, well, actually, Ephesians is, okay? I'm just the mouthpiece. Look, verse 25, having put away falsehood. Someone say, put away are you seeing the theme here? We're casting off, we're putting off, we're, we're laying things aside and we're putting new things on. This is part of our growth. He says, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor for we're members one of another, okay? So you, we are exhorting each other to put on the new self, to put on the righteousness and holiness of God, but the way that we do it is by speaking truth with one another. You may have seen it last week. He says, speak, by speaking the truth in love, we grow up. And so if you are not willing to lovingly, truthfully speak to your roommate, your spouse, your life group leader, whoever it is, somebody you work with, that's your brother, sister in Christ. Remember, this is family. This is brothers and sisters. We're not shaming each other. We're not condemning each other. We're certainly not judging each other. Watch out for that one. That's the lie. Oh, you can come judge me? Oh, no, 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 I'm actually just coming to speak the truth to you in love as your brother and sister that I see a part of your heart that seems to me, just from my seat next to you in our relationship, it seems like it's gotten calloused. I love you. That's not God's plan or best for your life. And I think you need to figure out what's going on underneath that hardness of your heart right there. We gotta speak the truth in love. 
okay? Secondly, verse 26 and 27. I understand speaking the truth in love. It is a, it can, you, your blood pressure, you're like, oh my gosh, I have to say what I really think? I mean, anybody feeling that anxiety? Because right now you're thinking about somebody that you need to have that talk with, right? And you go, oh man, I'm, I'm nervous already. Preacher, move on to the next verse. Move on. No, look, look, you got to put that thing to death. That anxiety, that fear of man over obeying the word of God, I'm telling you, you got to put that to death. And you got to say, I'm a member of the body of Christ. And my brother right there, I can see the callous on his heart that he can't see anymore. So in love, I'm going to put my arm around him and say, my brother, can we talk about this? You gotta be committed to the word of the Lord more than you're afraid of hurting somebody's feelings because Proverbs actually says that faithful are the wounds of a friend. And so it might actually be a hard conversation that's a little bit painful and hurts them. But guess what? If you're speaking the truth in love, God will be faithful. And sometimes the only way to get a callus off your finger is you gotta rip it off and it hurts. And something's got to regrow more sensitive. We got to speak the truth in love. He also tells us that we got to deal with our anger. Verse 26 and 27, be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. He picks us up down in verse 31 where he says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be, somebody say, put away put away from you along with all malice. He's like, he remembered the last one there at the end, right? He put it away. Cast it aside. Hebrews 12, right? We're running the race with endurance. We gotta lay aside, same word, the hindrances, the sin. Y'all, this stuff is not trivial. This stuff, bitterness, anger, slander, these things are not trivial. They are actually the current, if they're in your life, they are actually your current barrier to spiritual growth. Which means, because you're a part of a body, let's get real, it's a current barrier to our spiritual growth as a family. Then he says, number three, Speak the truth in love. Deal with your anger. And verse 29, guard your mouth. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, only such as good for building up as fits the occasion that it might give grace to those who hear. Hey, church, can I just remind you that I am just reading God's word, okay? If it feels like we're just pouring it on today, I am literally just reading, what is it, seven consecutive verses that Paul saw fit to write to a community that would read it all at one time. Okay, here's the deal. I don't expect, I sure hope that you're not identifying with every single one of those things. If you're identifying with every single one of those things, we got a different problem, okay? And let's talk about it. My hope is as you read through this, one or two of them, the Holy Spirit who loves you enough to correct you is going, that's you. Bob, I don't think there's any Bobs in here. That's you, Bob. Son, that one was you. Oh, 
Sarah, that one was you. The Holy Spirit will illuminate, because he's the, he's the master at this. He is the master at finding your callus and putting his pressure right on it. And then you get an opportunity to put it off. He's not pointing it out to shame you, remember? He is pointing it out to set you free. He is pointing it out to pull it off of you. Because look, I don't care how bad they hurt you. Your unforgiveness is not helping you. Your bitterness is not helping you. I don't care what they said about you. You replaying it in your mind over and over again and it's stirring the pot of your slander is not helping you. And so the Holy Spirit is so kind to come to us and say, put it aside. So we looked at the definition of human development. Y'all remember that at the very beginning? I, I made up my own definition for spiritual development after, at the end of preparing this. Okay, check it out. This is what I think. Spiritual development is the process of change and growth that takes place between rebirth and the new self. As we learn to cast off the old and put on the new, renounce the darkness and receive the light. Reject our flesh and renew our spirits. We become holy as he is holy. That doesn't mean perfect. He is perfect. Holy means set apart. It means that wherever God found you before you got born again, you have been transformed over and over again, time after time, year over year, through encounters with God, through the exhortation of the community, through the word of God, you've been transformed to where now, 10, 15, 20 years later, shoot, I was talking to Titus, six months later, bro, you are a faint resemblance of your former self because that's the gospel and the power of God and the blood of Jesus Christ. So let me finish with a testimony and then we're gonna respond. Okay, so I had a brother last week in the midst of those, of those heavy corrections. Okay, I had a brother come up to me in response to one of those corrections and said, Dude, that's me. That's me. It's been over a decade and I can't, it's consuming me. And he goes, I know it's wrong. I said, Bro, have you ever told anybody this in the church? He said, no, I've never told anybody in the church. I said, oh my gosh, your life's about to get changed because 1 John chapter one says when you walk in the light as he himself is in the light, that the blood of Jesus comes and cleanses you from sin. He's already forgiven and a breakthrough happens when you humble yourself. And I said, bro, let me pray for you. He confessed this thing to me. It's never confessed it in church. I prayed for him. Three nights later, we're here at the Ash Wednesday worship night. I'm loading up my truck down at the street. He comes running down to say goodbye to me. He goes, dude, I gotta tell you. I gotta tell you. It's been three days. 
I haven't even thought about it, man. I can't explain it to you. It's like when you prayed for me, when I confess it, it's like something broke. And he said this. He goes, dude, it's almost like the spirit of God in me overpowered that old thing. I said, no, it's not almost like that. It's exactly like that. That's what the grace of God does in your life. That's the power of the grace of God's spirit in us when we repent, when we walk in the light. He breaks things. You know what he told me? He's still here, going strong. He told me it was 13 years of bondage. This is the first week I've been free. So I want you to stand up, church. Come on. I want you to stand up, okay? To sum it up, verse 30 Band, you guys go ahead and come up here. We're going to have a little bit of a longer response time, okay? We're going to, about the next 15 minutes, because, because we're going to ask the Lord, okay, to search us and know us, okay? We're going to just say, come find my calluses. If there's a callus, Lord, I want to know it, and I'm going to repent to you. So we're going to deal with the Lord first, okay? But then we're going to create space to actually respond and receive prayer as well. Do you know that your repentance needs to happen to God first? But then when you bring it to a brother or sister, just like that testimony I just heard, I just shared, something in the light, supernatural things break, And that's not the only testimony from last Sunday that I heard in the exact same vein. So we're going to respond to the Lord first, but then we're going to have a ministry team come up here in a little bit. And if you need prayer and you want to bring something out, then they are going to pray. But here's where we're landing. In verse 30, this was the one verse I didn't read because I'm saving it here for the end. It says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. I dug into that word grieve a little bit this week, and it doesn't just mean to, to make sad. I mean, I think we all understand that, to, to make sorrowful. The word actually means to offend somebody, to make somebody uneasy, Do you know that God is a person? And just like you can hurt your friend's feelings, you know that you can hurt him. It says don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And I think what he's saying here is, look, there are some things in our lives that we have become comfortable with that still very much make him uncomfortable. You with me? There are things in our lives that grieve him, that if, if he was right there, which, which by the way, he is, if he was right there when I'm watching that, it would make him uneasy. If he was right there while I'm gossiping about that, it would make him uneasy. If he was right there while I was speaking to my child like that, he would be uncomfortable. He's a Holy Spirit. And when we let the deceitful things harden us, just because you've become comfortable with something in your life doesn't mean that he is. Now look, again, there is no shame. This is the journey all of us are on. But we have to join King David, 
the man after God's heart and praying the prayer of Psalm 139, right? He says, search me, O Lord, and know me. Search me. God, that is our prayer. I'm not up here, we're not up here trying to guilt or condemn or shame anybody, but Lord, we want to grow into maturity and who you've called us to be. So we say, I want you to pray it with me just in your mind and your heart. Search us, O Lord, and know us. If you find anything in us that's hurtful to you, would you lead us away from it? Lord, if you find any calluses in us that have been hardened by something that you're uncomfortable with, Lord, would you lead us into repentance and your kindness and so we're going to sing this song a familiar song and we're going to sing this familiar song where we're welcoming the Holy Spirit because in, in my heart the difference between doing something that makes him uncomfortable is by, is doing something that attracts him You know why the presence of God filled this place at about 4.07 when we started worshiping? Because God is attracted to praise. And you know why the presence of God is about to flood this room and fill it in a new place? Because God draws near to the contrite and the humble of heart. Repentance attracts God. He says, In Isaiah 30, verse 18, I wait on high to show you compassion. He says, I'm actually longing to be gracious to you. You've stayed at a distance because you think you're going to be met with my condemnation and rejection, but I'm actually waiting to grab you and my compassion and my freedom. You give grace to the humble, Lord. We say, search us and know us. If you find anything in us that has grieved you, Holy Spirit, may may we be quick to repent. And corporately, as we search our hearts, might we sing, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. You are welcome.